0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today you'll be hearing part two of the Michaela Meave Byers Case. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. If you haven't listened to part one from last week, definitely listen to that before starting today's episode. You will need all of that context to know how absolutely absurd this next update is. Last week, we left off at Frank telling the world that he wouldn't be hiding even though he claimed there was a hit on his head. And he certainly wasn't hiding when he slid into the next person's DMs, and in an astounding revelation, it wasn't a female's. A local freelance reporter named Mark Lewis, who did an incredible job, did a Facebook Live about Michaela's case and Frank freaking commented, saying that he had sent Mark a DM. Mark then posted, said DM, and oh my gosh, Frank is dumb. He's so dumb. Frank told Mark that he and Michaela lived in separate houses on the property because she thought it would be better if either of them brought someone else home. He's definitely really sticking to the open marriage story. Okay. He addressed the shell casings found in her building and said he didn't know why they were there, but the gun is hers and they have coyotes, so maybe that's how they got there. Seems as though he was explaining shell casings under her bed by suggesting they have coyotes outside, even though her gun was found in his building. Got it. He claimed it was found in his room. Room, you guys. His room because it's dark out when Michaela walks from his home to hers, so she leaves it at his house during the day. As for the blood-like substance found on his work boots, Frank claims that the substance was not blood. He had just lent his boots to a friend who I suppose just so happened to have equally tiny feet and be desperate enough to borrow used boots from a man who works with trash, but Frank told Mark that when he got the boots back from his borrowing friend, they had an unknown substance on them, and I'm willing to bet that this is the first time Frank has ever used the word substance. The message Frank sent to Mark Lewis was long, and continued on saying that he had messaged Michaela throughout the night until around 8.15 p.m., and said that after she, she, told him to essentially leave her alone, Frank claims he went to bed. At 8.15 on a Friday with six children, Frank claims that he went to bed. He said he messaged her again sometime after 1 a.m. and got no response. He says that he continued to message and call her to no avail and at 9 a.m. finally started reaching out to her family. But if they had an open marriage to the point where they lived in separate buildings, you know, if we're to believe anything that Frank says, why would he be concerned with where she was at 1 a.m.? On any given night, they probably wouldn't have been in contact at that hour, correct? Nonetheless, Frank told Mark that at 11.30 a.m. on what was now Saturday, he grabbed the kids, dropped them off at his ex's house, and then headed to Michaela's parents' restaurant where she was supposed to start her shift at 1.00. We know that she didn't show up, so Frank says he tried to file a missing persons report, but they didn't want to take it until she had been missing for 24 hours. We know that's absolute horseshit, but Frank seems to have a need to be the hero in every story and claims that he demanded they take the report. But let's talk about what actually happened. According to those documents from News 9, deputies read the messages from Michaela that basically told him to leave her alone and figured the dude really just did need to leave her alone. They figured he couldn't get in touch with her because she wanted him to back off. However, Michaela's dad wound up calling the deputy a little while later to say that they were concerned with the stories that Frank was telling. He said that Michaela had recently asked for a divorce, there had been a lot of fighting, and her Life 360 app, which tracks your location, had been turned off. The deputy knew in that moment that something was wrong here, so he entered Michaela into NCIC and called Frank to let him know. According to the News 9 documents, that's all he told Frank, but Frank proceeded to call Michaela's dad and tell him that the detectives told him Michaela's home should go untouched for 72 hours. Michaela's dad wanted to fact check this information, so he called the deputy back and the deputy told him that he had never said that. It was the wild freaking west of phone calls that day, and Frank called the deputy back to tell him that he wanted to break into Michaela's area to see if they could identify what happened. He told her dad the detective said it needed to go untouched for 72 hours, and he was telling the deputy that he wanted to break the fuck in. Noted, the deputy told him no until he got there. Getting back to Frank's message to Mark Lewis, I told you it was a long one. Frank claimed that Michaela's mom told him to check hotels in a nearby casino to see if anyone might have seen her there. But one of the locals I talked to said that no one could understand why he was searching hotels and casinos. They did not have a ton of money and Michaela didn't go to casinos. He said he stopped for fuel once before meeting deputies back at the property, so I'm guessing that phone-pocalypse happened in the midst of all of that. It wasn't until he took deputies out to the she shed that Frank told Mark he noticed the lock on it. Frank is saying that in everything going on, he never once noticed a lock on the door to the she shed his missing wife lived in on the same property. The News 9 documents state that he told detectives he wanted to break into it, but he told Mark that's when he noticed it was locked. If true, which I mean, let's be honest at this point. That would mean that the entire time Frank was riddled with fear, he never once checked to see if Michaela was literally inside of her own home. Frank went on to message Mark about the phone situation. He said that police took eight phones and Michaela's laptop from a miscellaneous dresser, but they were all old phones. The documents from News 9 and KOCO indicate that might not be totally true. Unless Michaela's phone was old because, according to those documents, Michaela's phone, the one reportedly messaging Frank after she left to go on that date, was found in his home. As to the blood found in Michaela's home, Frank told Mark that it was three drops of blood on a bedsheet and that it was menstrual blood. But wait, didn't his friend Annie tell News 6 that she was told it was a nosebleed? And any woman with a period can tell you that when you bleed in your bed, it is not drops because you're not standing hovering over your bed. That is the kind of crap that only a clueless man with shit for brains could come up with. And that's completely disregarding the fact that a blood test would have to be performed in order to determine whether or not something is menstrual blood versus, I don't know, blood from a nosebleed. And we haven't heard any word on the results from the blood-like substance on his boots, so I doubt they'd gotten any results back for the sheets. Frank was still free as an entire bird at this point, and no one could understand why. Michaela's family updated their profile pictures to photos of Michaela with the break the silence and domestic violence frames around it. While they were left to pick up the pieces, Frank was out trying to find himself some female company. On October 7th, a woman posted a metric butt-ton of screenshots of messages between her and Frank, which started back on September 19th, the day before Michaela's body was found. Now, I have to have a disclaimer here that these are allegedly from Frank, but this woman actually went live with Mark Lewis and talked about her phone conversations with Frank and how she had been in contact with police about this and even offered to have them record her conversations with him. She was obviously frustrated that they weren't interested and told her to stop talking to him, but frankly, this case is the Hansel and Gretel of evidence. They were likely just waiting on blood and ballistic results and would be ready to arrest him whenever those came back. In the post containing the screenshots, she included the following disclaimer of her own, and these are her words, not mine. Here we go. She wrote, Okay, I think I'm ready to share what I can. Her family needs to know, but honestly, anyone who believes him needs to know. None of these conversations cover anything that was said over the phone, and he is even more suspicious, smug, and completely emotionless. She actually told Mark Lewis that Frank went so far as to tell her how long it had been since he and Michaela had had sex. The woman went on to say, I would say that Frank Byers is a sex addict. Again, I'm quoting her. I'm not saying this. She added, continued to risk his marriage with infidelity and saw his wife as a possession he could not let go of. Michaela never agreed to and especially did not ask for an open marriage. That lie needs to stop circulating. It's just one more assault on her that isn't necessary. It's a fabricated lie from a sociopath. Again, quoting someone. It wasn't me who said it. She said it. Moving on. She said, I messaged Frank on the Tuesday after she went missing because someone said he wasn't allowing anyone to search on the property. I believed him in the very beginning, or at least I wanted to. Let the justice system run its course. That system is very, very broke. I never once heard him cry or show emotion about Michaela. It was more like he was inconvenienced by the situation. I never met him and never would have. But I've tried very hard to get him to tell me the full truth. This has been a terrifying and draining last three weeks, and in the right setting, someday, the whole story will be told. I don't know why Frank isn't in jail yet. There's absolutely enough evidence for him to be held while they continue to investigate. I never got to the bottom of how he's gotten this far, but I promise that the real story will come out. Hashtag for Michaela. With her disclaimer complete, let's get to those screenshots. Her first message to Frank looks to be her asking if there was a search plan for Michaela and if he needed any help with that. He responded with, Not yet, but there is some information I am waiting on from the sheriff's office to confirm something. That's all I can say at this time. She asked him if he was okay, and Frank told her that he was lonely, adding, I don't have someone here to be able to connect with. She said that must be awful, and Frank didn't respond until maybe an hour or so after Michaela's body was found the next day. The woman checked in on him the following day, asking how he was doing and saying she was thinking about him and his wife. Frank instructed her to call him and gave her his number. The two started texting and on September 23rd, Frank told the woman that they don't know Michaela's cause of death yet, just that she died on the 18th, which is ridiculous. When it comes to figuring out when someone died, it becomes less possible to narrow that down by the minute. There are formulas out there, but they include the temperature, whether or not the person was clothed, whether they were found inside or outside, and even if water is involved. With Michaela being in that culvert for as long as she was, I find it incredibly difficult to believe that they could determine a date or time of death for her at all. The state of her remains made it unclear at first glance that she had been shot twice in the head. I find it even harder to believe that anyone could have possibly come back to Hamilton Road with her body and placed her in the very area everyone was searching and no one noticed. But let's keep going. The woman told Frank that was so strange that Michaela was so young and beautiful and she wanted to help him because he was having a hard time. Frank allegedly responded in these screenshots, Yeah, it's not easy. And then on top of everything else, being lonely. Not having a feminine touch really sucks. Dude's waiting on his wife's cause of death and telling this woman that it sucks not having a feminine touch in these times. The woman tried to relate, I guess, saying that her boyfriend died of a heart attack back in 2022 and we're very sad about that. And she said that she was very lonely afterward. She added that his feelings were normal and asked if he was getting any counseling. In more screenshots, you see her message Frank checking in on him again, and he said that he had just gotten back from being across the street from the quote-unquote memorial thing, and said he was told he'd be arrested if he stepped foot on the property. He said, even though I wasn't there up front, I was still there, trying to show people that I'm a good guy, still being there. That's not what everyone else seemed to recall, but before she could even respond to him, Frank said, well, since you're home and I'm here in Norman, do you want me to swing by? No! The woman duck-dodged and weaved, saying that she had to be up at five to drive someone to the airport. On September 24th, Frank allegedly, in these neatly organized screenshots, texted the woman, morning, dear, and asked her how she had slept. He then went on to tell her that he had had a dream about her and quote-unquote woke up with something, adding, it's been a while since it's been this hard. I want to throw up reading these. Frank offered to tell the woman about his dream face-to-face and allegedly said, I could maybe show you some stuff that was in the dream as well. Drool emoji, drool emoji, kiss emoji. As uncomfortable as these texts are, they went on talking about his interest in MMA and his want to honor Michaela's wishes. The woman asked him if he was going to move and if he felt safe in his home because one can assume if he's not involved, he would be terrified. But Frank said that he didn't know and he hadn't thought about it. His wife was found shot to death and he hadn't considered moving. Six kids. Shortly after that text, Frank sent her a dick pic saying, I hope you don't mind I sent that to you a little fucking late, dude. Adding any thoughts? I know you're working, and I hate to distract you. The woman told him that she feels guilty about this whole entire thing, to which Frank responded, I know and I understand. I'm just trying to push on with my life like my wife wanted me to do. And also, a bunch of people told me I should just try to get back to normal as soon as possible. I know it's going to be hard, and I know there's going to be times, but at the same time, I have to make sure that I'm taken care of mentally, physically, and emotionally. I will never forget Michaela, but I need to start living life also like she wanted me to do. What a gaslighting fuck did I just read? Did he really just tell her Michaela would have wanted this and he needed to make sure he was being taken care of? Who the fuck suggested taking dick pics so he could get back to normal? This is the Twilight Zone. This is the only explanation. Frank kept trying to meet up with this woman and told her that he was going to get cleaned up for her and make the first move since she's shy. He allegedly told her in these masterful screenshots that he wanted to pull her in close and kiss her. On the 25th, she texted that she was on her lunch break if he wanted to call, and he asked her if she was on lunch because his brain is a bag of beans, and then sent her a picture of his crotch in red boxer saying, I am wearing your favorite color. I would like to send a stark apology to my phone for the screenshots being on it. On September 26, Frank texted the woman that he had made it to Purcell and was about to be at the funeral home. At 11.22 a.m., he let her know that he was done with the funeral arrangements. Eventually, the woman told him that she couldn't take any of this anymore, and Frank asked her if he had done something wrong. He said he can prove that the news doesn't know what they're talking about, and she asked him how. Frank the dipshit then sent her a bunch of essentially evidence photos of Michaela's she shed inside of it, including her bed. He allegedly, in these glorious screenshots, said, please don't shut me out. She said she wasn't shutting him out and just needed a break from the chaos that was his life. He said, okay, dear, things are going back to normal, but I understand, huh? He did not understand because men like him don't give a shit about boundaries. And at 6.38 PM, he said, so just wondering, but. What about our connection? Was that true about us having one or no? I'm just wondering, but I will respect your wishes though. I was just wondering that. He respected her wishes by following that up with another text that allegedly said, sorry, I'll leave you alone. Tell, T-E-L-L, you reach out to me. Thank you for talking to me when you was and I hope to talk to you again. It looks like he sent her another text at 10.51 a.m. the following morning. The woman had had it at this point and asked Frank if Michaela had asked him for a divorce under the guise of trust-building, and Frank said that she had not. she just asked for an open marriage. On September 28th at 7.25am, he texted her, Morning, followed with, I miss talking to you. Part of the woman's text is cut off, but she tells Frank that he doesn't seem like a grieving husband, and it's disturbing. Frank allegedly responded with this garbage, saying, I am grieving, though. You just haven't seen it. I remember things that I am done with her on a day-to-day basis, and I break down and start crying, realizing I'll never have that ever again. Other than the memories, any song that came on the radio that she's ever sung starts making me tear up. I've been to the funeral home several times. I've been through her clothes and other objects of hers a few times, and it's really hard to even do that. So yes, I am grieving. It's just, you have not seen it yet. I'm also trying to hold it all together for my kids. I don't want them seeing me upset, but it's so hard. And I'm sorry that we had a connection or thought we had a connection. I enjoyed talking to you. It was a good distraction, but I know I need to grieve and get this out. And everyone struggles with grief differently. And I think he was right, that I need that physical touch but I've been ignoring it and just focusing on things, trying to work through stuff. But I miss talking to you. It was a good distraction when I needed it, and I do appreciate you for that. Ignoring it, the only thing this dude seemed to be focused on at all was physical touch. Okay. Frank allegedly told her that he will not rest until he finds the guy Michaela left with, that he will switch to the end of the earth to find him and bring him to justice. Though it seems he's been doing his fair share of resting, but maybe he found the guy, you know you know. You might think Frank would take these messages as a final goodbye, but in due time, he texted the woman again asking if she was working today. When she responded that she had taken the day off, motherfucking Frank asked her if she would like to meet for breakfast. No one wants pancakes with Frank. In another text, he said, that my call log for today have no called anyone today, then apologized and said he was sorry to call her if she didn't want to talk and can understand. Dude hadn't understood a word since he learned the word tell, but he allegedly went on to explain, I was just calling you to make sure you was okay and also to figure out if you answered or if they left a voicemail, at least for you. I'm so sorry to bother you. uh uh He's not sorry. Apparently the woman had gotten some calls from blocked numbers and it looks like she probably thought they were coming from him. And I'm with you there. She said she was probably going to change her number, but not before Frank sent another text saying that detectives had called him from Block Numbers and asked that if she did change her number to please let Frank know what her new number was because he'd like talking to her and still wants to talk to her. Adding, and I quote, I'm just trying to give you the space that you need, also what you ask for. There are some messages missing, but he goes on to say, I do miss hearing your voice, though, but I'm giving you the space that you asked for because, tell you the truth, I don't want to lose you either, so I don't want to bother you. Frank is every woman's nightmare. His wife is dead. All eyes are on him. He's allegedly sending dick pics and won't leave this woman alone when she has asked him to. The woman spoke to Mark Lewis about her time talking to Frank and said that he is dense, like he can't tell when someone doesn't want him, that he's detached, emotionless, and in an almost unhuman way. She said that it seemed like something had disconnected when he was a child or something. As you guys know, I initially intended on making this last month's In the News episode, but there was no way I was going to temper my feelings with this case, because no one had been named a suspect or charged yet, and that's where we were at at this point. I checked the local jail intake records every few hours, waiting for Frank to show up on them, but it didn't happen. I moved my In the News episode to the following week, fully expecting there to be an arrest by then, but there wasn't, so I released a different episode instead and waited. That waiting paid off. At 7.30 a.m. on Wednesday, October 25th, I woke up and checked the intake records like I had been doing every single morning and screamed. There Frank was. It was just his name, but he was there. I texted the screenshot to one of the locals I had spoken with, and she said that she had gotten the notification about his arrest at midnight and was so stinking glad. I headed over to Facebook because Macomb does not play and there Frank was in handcuffs with deputies around him and what looks like a SWAT truck in the background. KOCO reported that he was taken from a family member's home by Potawatomi and El Reno's SWAT team. His intake record was updated with his mugshot and he looks like a pathetic fucking murder panda in his shitty little smock. A few articles initially stated that he had simply been arrested and hadn't been charged yet, but under the charges tab on the jail's website, it listed first-degree murder, unlawful removal of a dead body, and desecration of a human corpse. I had never seen the unlawful removal of a dead body charge before, so I looked it up, and according to Justia, citing 2014 Oklahoma statutes, It says, no person shall intentionally remove the dead body of a human being or any part thereof from the initial site where such dead body is located for any purpose unless such removal is authorized by a district attorney or his authorized representative. That charge comes with up to five years in prison, the desecration charge comes with up to seven years in prison, and first-degree murder comes with up to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 38 years if eligible. It should be noted, however, that Oklahoma is a death penalty state, and according to deathpenaltyinfo.org, actually has the highest number of executions per capita. An article written by AP News last month says that Oklahoma has executed nine people since resuming lethal injections in 2021. In the days since Frank was taken into custody, OKC Fox reported that, according to investigators, Frank borrowed the carpet Michaela was found in from a neighbor. Previously, some had speculated that he'd simply found the carpet near where her body was found since it was apparently a common dumping area, which just makes the location even more offensive than it already was, and I didn't even think that was possible at this point. According to KOCO, investigators believe that Frank shot Michaela because he wanted to establish a relationship with another woman. It definitely seems like he'd tried to establish relationships with other women while they were married, and Michaela wanted out of their marriage, so... For like the millionth time, Frank's logic makes absolutely no sense. We don't like him. We hate We hate Frank, okay? We do. Additional updates from KOCO were that an arrest warrant states that police believe Frank removed Michaela's SIM card from her phone and put it into another one to establish a fake conversation, which we guessed from the beginning. We only know one dumbass who says tell instead of until. The undersheriff told the station that the substance on Frank's boots was Michaela's blood, meaning Frank's message to Mark Lewis was as full of shit as predicted and is exactly why we waited to air this episode. According to KOCO, KFOR, and the New York Post, police also found a receipt either on or near the property on the day Michaela was reported missing, and it was for a mop, bleach, and ammonia. I'd be willing to bet there's a camera wherever that purchase was made, and police have taken a peek at that video. Frank does not strike me as the type of person who knows how to use ammonia, so I would also be very curious to see what his Google search history looks like. The updates in this case seem to be coming in daily at this point, and there is a long road ahead in the fight for justice for Michaela, but at least it has finally started. When asked what Michaela's family thinks Frank's punishment should be, they told KFOR the death penalty. I can forgive him through Christ, but I am still flesh, and I want the death penalty for him and anyone else that helped him. There are still rumblings around town questioning whether or not Frank had help, because it does seem like he'd have a hard time moving Michaela's body on his own. And to that, one commenter said, To all you fuck faces that stood by his side, eat shit, you trash-ass scum. The ones who stood by him at her memorial and hoot and hollered, I hope you all get the clap, fuck off, and eat your words. As more information comes in, you can rest assured I will update you. For photos pertaining to this case, check out Michaela's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me there today at noon Eastern, Mondays at noon, where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, because I know you don't listen to podcasts to hear the ads, but it's part of the thing, you can subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just two whole dollars a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. I was recently able to get Patreon to show up on Spotify, so if you are a Spotify listener, you can now click the little banner and get your ad-free episodes right there without a second app or a bajillionth app, whichever app it was for you. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every single time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Man True Crime on social media. All cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week, unless it's Thanksgiving week, in which case it'll be a re-release of an old episode. Anywho, I can't wait. Uh, but until then, we out. Okay, guys, we are officially at the end of this episode, which means it is time to read a review them in my whole entire day. This one is from Diana1SBQ. It says, BMTC's latest podcast was the best yet. Heather helped us love and understand the victim in a way I don't think anyone else could. I saved the episode for her description of what it's like to be in a domestic violence situation. I've never heard anyone describe the loss of self and all of what happens inside yourself. I had full body chills and tears for the episode. For all the women I know and for this brave, fierce woman who fought so hard to keep her voice oh you're making me cry okay keep it together keep it together funny sounds are gonna help you i love you that was really nice i love that i can share these things with you that's something i unfortunately do have personal experience with and i love being able to uh, i guess use a platform to be able to give some insight into what it's like to be in the brain of someone who has been abused i know that a lot of people see me and they're like oh you know she's so independent she's so fierce like she wouldn't let she wouldn't take shit from anybody Domestic violence doesn't discriminate. Never has and it never will. The more people understand it, the better. Um you guys know that I go on these soapbox rants every freaking time. We do a case on domestic violence and I will forever. It's always going to happen. Anticipate it. Make it a bingo card, whatever. But I still had somebody, there's Spotify for podcasters in the back end and people can leave comments or whatever. Some people will be like you can't pronounce things and some people will be like I love you and I'm like I love you too, but I can't respond to you. Um but this one person regardless of my soapbox, was like, why didn't she just leave him? Do fucking better. I answered that in the podcast. You didn't listen. You heard it. You didn't care. And you wanted to share that. And anyone who says, why didn't she just leave, is asking the wrong fucking question. The right question is, how can I help? How can we prevent this from happening again? What could I have done to make you feel like you had a safer place to run to? What could I have done when you felt like you couldn't tell anyone? Even if I was a safe place, you still felt like you couldn't tell me. What could I have done to change that? What can we do to help other women? Why is that man abusing her? That's not the question that's always asked. The question that's always asked is why didn't the victim leave, which does nothing but make you feel better than the victim. Congratulations. You weren't abused. Good for you. Good for you. Glad you got through that episode. Hope you feel great about yourself. Fucking, jeez. Pisses me off. Glad you feel better than, than the victim. Cool. You're smart. Whatever. But it also proves the fucking abuser right. They got another person. To not look at them, they looked at the victim as the problem. Because, yeah, why wouldn't she leave? People use that argument all the time. Oh, if she was being abused, if she was so scared, why didn't she leave? We're terrified to leave. I was mortified to leave. I was mortified of how I would leave. I left a bunch of times and I came back. Every answer felt wrong. It was deafening. Deafening. So don't be a part of the problem. Can be a part of the solution. Like our friend Diana, one SBQ is, we love you. Okay. That was a big rant. If you have made it this far, you are officially at our hot take. And I have not even written a hot take for this one because I have so many thoughts floating through my brain holes. What in the actual fuck just happened? So first of all, hallelujah. Frank's finally arrested. When I tell you that I check that intake record all the time for his face I was, I, was, I was at a loss. Obviously, I know ballistics take time. Blood results take time. And there was a lot of people in the community getting frustrated, feeling like they weren't getting updates. I did have some conversations. Like, I can, I, my own personal experience, what I am seeing, these detectives seem to know what they're doing. They seem to be doing a really great job. They're checking all of the boxes, you know, pausing in, to read all of these documents by the millisecond. They were working hard. This is an evidence-filled case. I'd be be shocked if this goes to trial. I I could only assume that he would be instructed to plead out, but you never freaking know. I hope that her family does not have to sit through a trial. But anyways, the absence of information sometimes makes you feel like things are not being done. We tend to fill in the blanks when we don't have the answer to something. So communication is always important. Uh, Unfortunately, there's not always something that police can say. And this was heavily plastered all over town and it definitely picked up traffic the more time went on i mean the undersheriff spoke to people magazine so yeah that dm to mark lewis so mark lewis something happened where he eventually made a comment that he wouldn't be covering it anymore he's not a news anchor or anything he i think he's like a photography or videography business but he also just i guess out of hobby picks up cases to cover around the area and kind of around everywhere he does a really great job. He's got a great personality. He's a really nice guy. People easily open up to him. And I know that he was really appreciated for the work that he did in Michaela's case, at least keeping it alive, covering it, all of that. So, I mean, I don't I don't know what happened, but I said he wasn't going to be saying anything about it anymore. Uh, but it was prior to Frank being arrested. I think maybe it could have been a message that was like, hey, this is an active investigation. And he did have people going live who had had interactions with Frank. Maybe it was just a little bit messy. Who knows? Anywho. That message that Frank sent to Mark was insanely long. It was like a bullet pointed list where he wanted to address all of these things that he just wished people would listen to. And maybe because Mark's a dude, Frank thought like, oh, it's an ally. This guy's gonna defend me. like, no, you dummy. You're so stupid. But he did post that whole screenshot all up into the public. And it was glorious. I think his biggest fuck up was uh, saying that The blood was menstrual blood. Not only you're just stupid, but you're double stupid because, like, that's a blood test. You need a blood test. Uh, That's literally never going to happen that way, but then you need a blood test. And also, maybe forgot that you told Alice, and her name is on the internet. I get the vibe that she didn't know what she was getting into when she took up for somebody she thought was a friend, and she's gotten a lot of shit, so I did change her name in here. I, I, you know... I have a bleeding heart, and I don't think she understood the gravity of the situation, and I think sometimes people are blinded by who they think people are. Anywho, her name's Alice on our podcast. First quote was that she was told it was a nosebleed. So, who told her that? Yeah. Okay, cool. He mentioned that thing about the coyotes, and maybe the guns were, or not the gun, the bullets were under her bed because she had maybe shot at coyotes, but wouldn't he have talked about hearing a fucking gunshot go off? I don't know. Maybe by his house? Seems like, you know, gunshot, like one of six plus two, eight people living on that property. little clearing. You know, you might check check it out. Especially it came from inside of her house. And speaking of inside of her house, I mean, his timelines are terrible. He should have, like, taken fucking notes if he was going to be a criminal piece of shit. But he's stupid. She's missing this entire time. And then tells Mark that he didn't realize there was a lock on her she shed until he met police out there. Now, he had told police that he was going to break in. You don't have to break in if it's not locked, right? But you were telling me that this entire time that you could not figure out where she was, you never once looked at the door. And at that point, you either have to believe that someone, and I can only assume this is a padlock. When I talk about a she shed, it's definitely a she shed, shed like thing. If it was like a regular door lock, whoever had the key has to leave. And he was saying Michaela was the only one who had the key. But if this is a padlock, you can just you know, lock it. It's not like you're locking a deadbolt and have to have that key. Yeah. Big fat liar. Big fat cheating liar. Fucking oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. And so part of these text messages that I didn't mention, there were other pictures that he sent including outfits. Funeral outfits. He sent her photos of himself in funeral outfits before he went to her funeral where he reportedly did not console his children who were hysterical. And If we recall, he was texting her prior to going to the funeral to make arrangements. And I've heard through the grapevine that he was not happy that she was going to the funeral home that her family wanted her to be at. Like, he he still wanted control of this, which is insane. Which he was, honestly, it seems like he was just waiting to get out of the funeral arrangements so that he could then text DM girl back and try to meet up with her. Because locations were convenient. Fucking gross fucking gross and dick pics breakfast and stupid so stupid i wonder at what point they realized that frank had borrowed a carpet because that was a question that was asked a lot early on like where did the carpet come from i've seen it was pieces of carpet i've seen it was carpet and i've also heard a lot that this is like a common dumping ground but i've also heard from some other people that it's like you know not that trashy uh, like the, you don't like notice that there's a ton of trash over there, but I guess people along this road just i don't know feel comfortable dumping their trash there, but knowing he borrowed a carpet, I wonder if there's I wonder if he borrowed it for another reason like a while back. uh, the discovery in this case is going to be astronomical. there's gonna be so much evidence it's gonna be insanity It's gonna be insane. I would be curious to see how many other people are going to be arrested if he had any help at all. We've talked – I hate even calling it dead weight because it feels a little bit crass, but we've talked about dead weight in the past where it's basically you have no center of gravity. You're easier to pick up when you have core strength because you're balancing your weight, all of that. When someone passes away, they have no center of gravity whatsoever, and it almost makes the weight feel heavier. It's the difference between picking up you know, a 30-pound toddler and a 30-pound bag of sand. The toddler's going to wrap around you. It's going to be centered in the middle. But the sand is going to be moving all over the place. And Frank was small. Like his family said, Michaela could take him if she wanted to. But Michaela isn't a gun. And she also doesn't want to take anybody. She's not trying to fight anybody. She's trying to live her best life. She's trying to take care of six children. She's trying to get her education. She's trying to give an education. She wasn't interested in taking fucking Frank. But it doesn't matter. Any None of that matters. Because she was shot. Somebody can't take a gun. The gun's going to win. You bring fists to a gunfight, a gun's going to win. And we don't know where in the head Michaela was shot. We don't know what time she was shot. We don't know where on the property she was shot. We could use deductive reasoning and assume that she may have been shot in her bedroom. I would, I would be curious where the glass comes into play, though. Um, Frank had told, I think it was Mark, that his attorney was told there was no sign of any cleanup in the house. Like they had asked, is there any sign of a cleanup? Which is a really weird thing to ask, especially knowing that they found that receipt for the cleaning supplies on or around the property outside the day she was reported missing. Um, but he seemed to use that as some kind of flex that there was no sign of a cleanup. Like I some of the locals that I spoke to said that they were told in the photos they saw, which seems like they came from some of these screenshots from that girl, there were things that they noticed were missing that were usually in. bedroom if she was shot twice in the head you would expect to be there there to be a copious amount of blood and based on these photos and based on just the descriptions of them it doesn't sound like there was a ton of blood in the she shed but i did notice in the photos and in the documents nobody mentions a comforter what are the chances that she has a bed and doesn't use a comforter but has sheets i mean it's certainly possible but when i talked to locals that was one of the things a blanket was one of the things that people were like well where's her blanket That was something that people who knew her saw pictures and were like, something's missing here. So I would be curious where, if if anything is missing, where that is. Because you would expect more blood to be in a place where someone was shot in the head. Granted, it was a 22, but head wounds, period, gunshot wounds, period, they will tend to bleed. If he is guilty of what he is accused of doing, I'm curious at what point he decided that he was not going to clean up with the mop, the bleach, and the ammonia, and decided to shove shit under her bed. I don't know. Who knows? I definitely think it's curious about the reports of gunfire by the neighbor, just not far from where Michaela's found. I did hear that he and Michaela used to take walks at night a lot. There are some people who have mentioned, like, maybe they were on a walk and he killed her. If he killed her, like, he is charged, accused of doing. Did he do it there? But then, like, if he had borrowed the carpet, it's likely she died wherever the carpet was. I didn't have to like bring a carpet on a walk. That doesn't sound right. I'm literally processing this with you guys. So, yeah. In the end, I'm just glad that this fuckface is in jail where he belongs. May his cellmate find him interesting.